Hour number two, News Talk 1110-993-WBT, The Pete Callender Show. I am The Pete of said show. The phone numbers are 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Email is Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. Um, I'm going to get into the uh, the Senate debate that was held. Uh, I do have a couple of clips, actually, from the Ohio Senate debate uh, that I will play. But uh, I want to start with North Carolina's U.S. Senate debate that was held on Friday between Sherry Beasley and Ted Budd. I was going to get to all of this yesterday, but then we got kind of sidetracked with the Panthers firing the head coach and a big discussion about Mayo. Uh, and uh, and look, it's you know it's sort of one of those things you know where if the president you know calls and says, "Hey, I'd like to be on the show," then you bump whatever you've got. And you cover, you know, you give the time to the president. Same thing with the Mayo topic. You got, I mean, like, there's just a certain amount of respect that you give the office, you know? So, uh, all right. So we've got uh, uh, Ted Budd and uh, Sherry Beasley meet for the first and probably only time in this debate. And uh, look, I think we can honestly say debating is none of their strong suits, is neither of their strong suits, right? It's just not. Neither one of them are particularly good at it. If you watch the debate, you can tell there's a lot of stammering and stuttering. There's uh, uh, There are rehearsed lines that don't land as anything but sounding like rehearsed lines. You know, they get, they get drilled on these talking points on how to, you know, on how to frame something. And look, I don't know how to teach this to somebody. I've worked in radio 20 plus years now, and it's one of the things that I've I've just I've seen I've noticed in this business. There are some people that they either sound like they belong or they don't. And I don't know how you teach it. I really don't because there's just a sound that somebody has on the air that, you know, they, they sound like they belong there. And a lot of these debates, especially at the presidential level and the federal races, a lot of the debate is just looking like you belong there, having the the, the stage presence, right, that, that you belong there. And to that point, both Beasley and Bud, they check the box, right? They both look like they belong up there on the stage. They both carry themselves in a way that they could be a U.S. senator. Now, that being said, I don't know how you teach the the rhetoric skills, you know, or the rhetorical skills, I guess. You don't, you, you don't I don't know how you teach that. There's... I, I don't because by this point, they both should have a pretty good, you know, understanding of what their arguments are. That's why you do the campaign stops. You go around the state and you go to all the hundred counties and you frame it like, "Look at me, I'm talking to everybody in hundred counties." And that's there's benefit to that. Don't get me wrong, but there is also a practical, uh, uh, you know, improvement benefit for the the candidate. Because when you go and you make the stump speech a hundred different times, it's now committed to memory. Trust me, I know this. Not that I've stumped and given stump speeches, but I've done advertising. And the more you do advertising, the more you read the messaging, the more it becomes committed to memory. And then it becomes easier to incorporate into various uh, types of, uh, uh, of ads, like live read endorsements, for example. See, like right now, I could just go immediately into a PhD weight loss and nutrition spot or maybe a Catawba Two Kings casino. I could just pivot and segue and bam, I'm in it. But I'm a professional, so you shouldn't try this at home, okay? It's because you could injure yourself. 
standard disclaimer on all this stuff. So they both look like they belong on the stage. They look like senators, right? And they kind of sound like senators, but neither one are going to win any kind of uh, trophies or awards for you know being fantastic debaters. But that's not what I'm in it for. I'm not. I mean, yes, I mean you you do kind of appreciate those skills, but I, I don't require them. I do want to know that you're going to be able to hold your own in a debate, which was my criticism, for example, of Ted Budd during the primary is that he wouldn't debate his Republican opponents. And Walker and McCrory were pretty good debaters. And uh, I wanted to know if Ted Budd was going to be able to go up against Sherry Beasley, who I assumed was a pretty good debater, only because she was a lawyer and a judge. Turns out she wasn't. And turns out you didn't need to be a good debater because Sherry Beasley's not a great debater. So... It's a it's a it's a draw. And in the world of debating, that's a win. Right. Nobody's vote was changed by what uh, was said or wasn't said uh, at the debate the other night. But let me start off with. Uh, but but there, uh, I'll start off with inflation, because while nobody's vote is probably won or lost based on the debate performance. You do get an insight into the kinds of candidates or uh, kinds of uh, senators, I should say, they would each make. So let's start with the question of inflation. You know, Tim, prices are too high and North Carolinians are hurting. They are feeling everything from pain at the pump to the cost of prescription drugs and everything in between. We live in the greatest country in the world and people shouldn't have to try to decide between buying groceries and school supplies and high priced medications. This is our top economic issue. But it doesn't have to be this way. Congress really can take steps to lower prices. And we know that uh, we need to lower drug prices. And Okay. So let me just go ahead and stop right here for a second. Um, this is an awkward pivot. This is what I was talking about with the cramming in, the shoehorning of uh, talking points. Right? This is clumsy. It's awkward because... It's not something that comes to her. And look, I get it. On the one hand, I, I do. I understand she's in a pretty tough spot because she has to actually try to explain in a logical fashion progressivism. And you can't do that. <laughs> so right. So I get it. Like I under, I'm sympathetic. That's a tough thing to do. You're trying to explain why inflation is the top economic issue in America, why it's the top problem. And then you want to pivot to prescription drug prices. And then she also said something in there about how we shouldn't have to decide between buying groceries, school supplies, and prescription medication. Well, wait a minute. That's just called budgeting. So you're saying I should just be able to buy whatever I want without any thought about the cost? I live on a budget. I do. We have a budget. We put money into different categories. We track our spending. Because that's how you don't go broke. That's called fiscal discipline. It's, why, it's how you don't go into debt and become basically indentured to somebody else. That's how you do that. You have a budget and then you stay within your budget. And that means you prioritize spending and you don't spend money on some things because you want to spend it on other things. So she's saying that it's our birthright not to have to budget? That seems odd. Here in America, we pay more for prescription drugs than anywhere else in the country. And we also know that we absolutely must make sure that corporations are not price gouging. What? And so we know that corporations are seeing 70-year record profits. 
uh, and using that as a as a as a cover for inflation and jacking up prices. What? And Congress can using wait, they're using record record profits as a cover for inflation. I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what she's trying to say. That they are using profits as a cover for inflation. Wouldn't they be using inflation as a cover for the profits? Is that what she meant to say? But she got it backwards. Is that what happened? I I don't know. But by the way, when the corporations were losing money because you shut down all of the businesses and such, you shut everything down during the pandemic. Not that she specifically did, although she did shut down the courts. But when the businesses all had to close because of government mandates, where were you to to come in and say you need to have the uh, we need to make up all of those profits that they were making? Now I understand they bailed out the paycheck or you know or the payroll protection act, but that was for the workers. That was so the businesses could pay the workers who weren't working, right? But where was where where was the where were these these thoughts paid to the businesses that lost profits? People that that were losing money. How about like landlords, right? A lot of landlords who couldn't get people out of the properties. So I mean, this this is just economic illiteracy. But she has to pivot. That's what she's doing. She's got to pivot to the prescription drug price talking point. And the corporate price gouging talking point, because that's what the base in the Democrat Party wants to hear. And it's this this oversimplification of stupidity that apparently the Democrats are banking on in order to win votes in the midterms. I, I cannot explain it, but obviously I am not the target audience for that messaging because it's stupid. Talk 1110 WBT. I mean, I, I'm not trying to brag or anything here, but you notice I am in another show's promo. Do you notice that? Like, I'm not just in my own promos. I'm in other shows' promos now. You know, although I do, I do think we should grab that promo line where Bo says that that. You're my new hero, Pete. I think I should, I think I, I, I think he's talking about me. I should take that. I mean, I realize the term hero is overused in today's day and age, but in this case, it wasn't even directed towards me specifically. But I, again, it's just marketing. <laughs> just like Texas Pete. Okay. So um, we've got the, <laughs> we've got uh, this debate on, uh, on Friday between the U.S. Senate candidates Ted Budd and Sherry Beasley. And Sherry Beasley is an economic illiterate. Um, either that or she's just lying to you. So I'm just giving her the benefit of the doubt here because uh, she is framing inflation as what she called the biggest issue, the most pressing issue facing the nation in, is at inflation. And she is chalking it up to the cost of prescription drugs and corporate price gouging. That's what she said. And then she said something else. I don't really understand what it was that she said. I will re-rack this clip and we'll play it again. So, because I, I did interrupt it, but I'm going to re-rack the clip. She also has a terrible habit of starting every, uh, every answer the same way. You know, Tim, prices are... Right, exactly, like that. You know, Tim, you know, you know, 
You know, you know, every question like starts the same way or every answer starts the same way. You know, Tim, prices are too high and North Carolinians are. Okay, I'm going to stop it one last time here. I I promise. But you know what I was reminded of when she said that? (laughs) Do you remember the rent is too high guy? Remember (laughs) he's running for mayor or something up in New York and all his whole campaign messaging was the rent is too damn high. That's what I, I don't know. I may be a bit of a political junkie. Okay. You know, Tim, prices are too high and North Carolinians are hurting. They are feeling everything from pain at the pump to the cost of prescription drugs and everything in between. We live in the greatest country in the world and people shouldn't have to try to decide between buying groceries and school supplies and high priced medications. This is our top economic issue. But it doesn't have to be this way. Congress really can take steps to lower prices. And we know that uh, we need to lower drug prices. And here in America, we pay more for prescription drugs than anywhere else in the country. And we also know that we absolutely must make sure that corporations are not price gouging. And so we know that corporations are seeing 70-year record profits. Uh, and using that as a, as, a, as a cover for inflation and jacking up prices. And Congress can stop that. But Congressman Ted Budd hasn't stopped that. And in fact, he's actually helping it. I mean, he's the one who's not, uh, he's voted against uh, lowering drug prices and gas prices while taking corporate PAC money from oil and drug companies. And so it is important that we work very hard and fight hard to lower uh, cost because that's exactly what everybody here wants in North Carolina. Congressman Budd has not been doing that. He's just, not working for us. Just quickly following up, would you have voted for the stimulus and spending packages proposed by the Biden administration if you were in Congress? You know, I can tell you that when we were in the middle of a pandemic and our economy was about to tank, the, the stimulus really did help a whole lot of folks here in North Carolina. It made the difference for their lives. And does the Biden administration so, yes. share any blame with the inflation issues we have now? I certainly believe that the president and Congress could work a whole lot harder to make sure uh, that prices are being lowered. And Congressman Bud has been there for six years. And so he's partly to blame as well. Okay, so uh, what is Tim Boyum asking but not asking whether or not inflation is caused by the monetary policy, right? Does spending that we don't have, money we don't have, right, Printing money, this, uh, you know, well, it's not printing money, but the issuance of new debt. Is this inflationary? This is a fundamental question. It's why I asked during, like, when I uh, was uh, hosting the forum for the Green and Libertarian Party candidates in this race, you know, I asked them flat out, what causes inflation? Tell me, what do you think causes inflation? And the Green Party candidate, Matthew Ho, he's an MMTer. Modern monetary theory, which they believe we just keep printing money. But by the way, if um, if the debt doesn't matter and we could just print more money, here's a question for you. Why is anybody paying taxes? What's the point? Why do we even need taxes? Seriously, what's the purpose of, of collecting taxes? If we could just print whatever amount of money we want and issue debt and then pay it back with newly printed money, Why does anybody have to pay for any of the running of the government? Why do we need any revenue? Just keep printing more money. Oh, I'm sorry. There I go again, asking silly questions, right? But nobody would ask that of Sherry Beasley, because this is sort of, I mean, this is, 
this is a, a, a an an understanding of monetary policy that this is just my opinion, but it's an understanding of monetary policy that I require for my elected officials. I require that if you can't even connect government spending with inflation, you are disqualified and unqualified for the job. That that alone disqualifies you. You don't get to be in charge of the checkbook if you don't know what the impact of writing checks is. Right? To me, that's a pretty straightforward standard. If you think you can just keep writing checks and checks and checks and checks and checks and checks and, checks and that there's no downside to this and the, the predominant downside is inflation and you don't know this, then you don't get the gig. That's just me. Um, let's see here. Then uh, Ted Budd was asked uh, about whether or not, because and it was, this was bipartisan, Donald Trump, Republicans, as well as Biden and Democrats, they all did the spending. They all did various spending programs throughout the pandemic that started under Trump and Republicans. And uh, Ted Budd was asked about that as well. And he made the point that, well, when we were in the middle of the pandemic, then we told all these businesses to shut down. And so it made sense to, to you know, spend money there, but not after. The stuff afterwards just was more, you know, good money after bad or bad money after good, whatever the saying is. And they just kept on doing more and more spending. And that's what broke the bank. That's what sent us on this inflationary path. Now, you can quibble about that, whether or not there was, you know, uh, responsibility or, you know, for uh, – uh, for inflation under uh, under Trump, as there is under Biden, and who's more responsible, and Republicans or Democrats, and they both did it and all of that, fine. But at least Bud recognizes the connection between spending and inflation. And again, if you don't recognize that connection, you are disqualified from the gig. That's just me. Well, it is the season. Pumpkins, yeah, right? Smashing pumpkins, pumpkin latte, pumpkin seed. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, during the debate on Friday night between Sherry Beasley and Ted Budd um, for U.S. Senate, the topic of abortion came up. So North Carolina bans abortion after 20 weeks in most cases. Ted Budd supports the bill... Uh, from Lindsey Graham that would put restrictions on abortions past 15 weeks. So Tim Boyum asked, I thought this was a good question, a good way to frame the question, which was, what is what does your ideal law look like? I thought that's a good question. Tell me what you would prefer to see for legislation. Again, I've always been pro-life long before I was even in Congress, and I've been consistently there. But at the same time, I've always been about protecting the life of the mother. And I want to save as many unborn lives as possible. And Tim, I, I hope you take time to dive into how extreme my opponent, Miss Beasley, is when it comes to abortion. He doesn't. Uh, she, they Spoiler. Have, uh, the Democrats have signed on to the Women's Health Protection Act, the most extreme bill in legislative history, completely out of standards with anywhere in the developed world. But this is awful. But the things that I support uh, are saving unborn lives. And uh, I just think that my opponent is up for abortion. She's, she's a supporter of abortion at any time, for any reason, all the way up, Tim, until the moment of birth. And she wants to do that at taxpayer expense. And I think if you check with North Carolinians, you pulled the broad spectrum of North Carolinians, 
that's wildly out of step with where they are. So let me go back and ask you then, you are signed on to the 15-week ban, but she's accused you of supporting a total ban with no exceptions. Would you uh, support that? So obviously her, her position doesn't make sense because if the Democrats are going to sign on for the most radical bill in history, those are the extremists, the Democrats, that she wants to be a rubber stamp for. So when they put forth the Women's Health Protection Act, which is an awful bill, then I'm going to counter it. But beyond that, I just want to save unborn lives. I want to protect lives. I want to protect the life of the mother. But my opponent, Ms. Beasley, has been a rubber stamp for Joe Biden's policies, and she would be a rubber stamp for his policies in the U.S. Senate. True. I just want to be clear again. The fifth week ban is what you signed on to, but would you support a total ban with no exceptions if that was on the table? I've always been clear about protecting the life of the mother, but the bill that you're referring to is about responding to the most radical bill in legislative history, and that's the women's, the misnamed Women's Health Protection Act. Right. So what Boyum eventually asks is, I think, the question that he that, that he wanted to get at from the beginning, which is, would you ban abortion in all cases? No exceptions. That's what he's that's what he wants to ask. So that's why he asked initially what I thought was the good question was, uh, what is what does your ideal legislation look like? But Bud wouldn't answer that. Right. So then Boyum follows up with this question of, well, you supported Lindsey Graham's bill, this 15 week uh, abortion ban. Which, by the way, has exceptions in it. There are exceptions in Lindsey Graham's bill. For, you know, life of the mother, for example, if the life of the mother is at risk, then you'd be able to terminate the pregnancy. And so Ted Budd supporting that bill answers the question that you're asking, does it not? If you're asking Ted Budd, do you support any exceptions while noting he has signed on to a bill that has exceptions, then it tells me he does, yes, support some exceptions by the way this came up let me go ahead and jump over here let me let me uh, let, let's go up the road shall we to uh ohio and this was the uh debate between steve holt and uh jd vance oh i'm sorry it's not steve holt steve holt no it's um that's an arrested development reference um no it, uh, tim ryan this guy tim ryan he's he's terrible um anyway here is uh, the question on abortion up in the Ohio debate. And you're going to notice these two guys are a little bit better at the debating. Look, I've always believed in reasonable exceptions. This is a misrepresentation of my view. But let, let, let's hear it from me, not from Congressman Ryan. All right. So, again, this is J.D. Vance responding to the accusation that J.D. Vance doesn't uh, doesn't support any exceptions in any case. Uh I, I absolutely think the 10-year-old girl, the case that we've, of course, heard a lot about, an incredibly tragic situation. I mean, look, I've got a 9-year-old baby girl at home. I cannot imagine what's that, what that's like for the girl, for her family. God forbid something that, like that would happen. I have said repeatedly on the record that I think that that girl should be able to get an abortion if she and her family so choose to do so. But let's talk about that case. Because why was a 10-year-old girl raped in our community, raped in our state in the first place? The thing the media and Congressman Ryan, they talk about this all the time. The thing they never mentioned is that poor girl was raped by an illegal alien, somebody that should have never been in this state in the first place. You voted so many times against border wall funding, so many times for amnesty, Tim. If you had done your job, she would have never been raped in the first place. Do your job on border security. Don't lecture me about opinions I don't actually have. 
Don't lecture me about opinions I don't already have. I mean, that is the way to answer that question. But J.D. Vance is obviously more skilled. He was, but he was a you know a lawyer. Um, but he obviously is a lot better at this than I think Bud or Beasley was. Within this, within one minute, he completely dismantled that accusation and turned it against Ryan. By the way, there was another moment here uh, where Tim Ryan talked about. Uh, his service to to his community. And how dare J.D. Vance, who, by the way, served as a U.S. Marine in Iraq, I believe, or Afghanistan, I believe it was Iraq. Um, yeah, he's he's commenting about how, you know, I, I serve my community too, you know, and you denigrate my service. So what did, what did Ryan do? And you said, I don't even feel comfortable in Ohio anymore. I'm not going to sit here and let you demean my service that I learned from my family, that when First I went all, to Catholic school, we had to spend time going to help people. It was called senior service. I had to put on my football jersey and go serve in the community. Tim, this is an extension of that. I admire, I admire the spirit of service. <laughs> no, what I don't. don't admire is the failure of accomplishment. Look at how Youngstown has done during your leadership. <laughs> Okay, so by the way, that's not me ringing that bell. That's the moderators during the debate. Those are the only two bites I pulled from that debate last night uh, between Ryan and uh, Vance. But um, I thought I thought Vance did very well. I did. I, th- I thought he did very well in that. There was, by the way, there. hang on a second. Um, there was a write-up on this, gosh, and it totally, oh, here it is. Yeah, it's on the other stack of stuff. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, so this is from Daily Mail. They completely leave out because you just heard you just heard the the uh, the soundbite there, right? And he says, um, "I'm not going to apologize for spending 20 years of my adult life slogging away to try and help one of the hardest economically hit regions of Ohio, and dedicated my life to help that region come back," said Congressman Ryan. JD, you went off to California. You were drinking wine and cheese. Quote, this is a response from J.D. Vance. I admire the spirit of your service. What I don't admire is the failure of accomplishment. Look at how Youngstown has done during your leadership. That's what I don't admire. Well, you just heard the soundbite. And J.D. Vance said that line at the end of the soundbite, did he not? Yeah. But what was he saying it in response to? He was saying it in response to Ryan talking about, I had to put on my jersey when I was a senior in high school. I had to put on my football jersey and go, you know, Deliver groceries around town. Help out the community. You know what? I, I We had to do service projects, too. You know what I never cite as any kind of an example of my service to the community? That. Okay? Yeah, that. When the church tells you, hey, in order to graduate, you got to go do this community service project, it's kind of not the same thing as when you're like, you know what? I think I'm going to join the military. <laughs> it's, it's a little different. It's a little different. You know? Like the motivation is a little <laughs> is a little different. I mean, look, you're both doing good things. True. You're both serving in a capacity. But there is a degree difference there. Okay. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Hey, if you got uh, Thursday open on your calendar, go take a look. I'll wait. Go ahead. Okay. 
All right, so Thursday, 8 o'clock, if you are free, why don't you come join me and Vince Coakley? We're going to be doing the uh, Facebook live feed for Talktoberfest, WBT's Talktoberfest 2022, presented by Kristen Bernard and Power Home Team, Keller Williams South Park. 8 o'clock every Thursday, we got uh, different hosts doing the uh, uh, live streams each week, and this week it is Vince and me. And so if you come on over to the FaceTube and uh, watch, and you can participate, by the way. Uh, it's just, it's sort of like an ask me anything. We'll chat, you know, take questions and comments and stuff from the audience. Now, now full disclosure, I'm going to tell Vince this too. Because I normally do my own live streams on Thursday evenings, so I'm moving all of my peatniks. It's going to be like a, a bit of an invasion. Just a heads up onto the face tubes. All right, uh, all the details are at uh, WBT.com. So uh, this uh, debate between the... Senate candidates for North Carolina, Ted Budd and Sherry Beasley, on Friday night, the topic of abortion comes up, and uh, Ted Budd talks about how, look, I, you know, I'm I'm trying to uh, protect life. Uh, I'm pro-life wherever I can. He supports Lindsey Graham's bill, and uh, Tim Boyum keeps keeps asking him, uh, you know, do you support any restrictions whatsoever? Even though he does, you know, support the bill itself, which has exemptions. Uh, so uh, it's not all restrictions, not total bans and all of that. Um, then he asks Sherry Beasley, what is your ideal law? I think the fundamental question really is who makes the decision for a woman and her family? Is it you and your doctor or is it politicians up in Washington? I know, having been a former judge and chief justice, that women have a constitutionally protected right to make this decision for themselves with their physician, with free from government interference. Okay, that's actually not true. And as a lawyer, she should know that that is not true. As a judge, she should know that's not true. She does not know that there's a constitutional right. There was a constitutional right that was divined, that was conjured up, that was willed into being by the Supreme Court in 1973. But it's not there. And that's what the U.S. Supreme Court has now reversed. And they determined the opposite is true. Now, she could disagree with that, but that's just her opinion. And that's all lawyers have and judges have is opinions, right? I mean, we call them rulings, but they are opinions. So she has a difference of opinion. But it is quite obvious that a right to abortion is not in the Constitution. It's not there. It doesn't say it anywhere, right? It's not... It was, it was conjured up. It was it was found there by judges that went looking for it under this right to privacy, which, by the way, even liberal uh, uh, lawyers at the time, constitutional scholars said they should not have done because it was easily uh, attackable. Be- and, and which it was. This is why the left did not like, as people who were like pro-abortion, but uh, and, 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 you know, pro-choice, they, but they did not like the way it was reasoned because they felt like it was open for attack and could be dismantled because it wasn't sound constitutional theory. And Congressman Budd has been very clear and has said that he supports and is leading the charge on an absolute ban on abortion without exceptions for rape, incest, or risk to a mother's health. Now, literally, literally he just said, I support the 15-week bill that Lindsey Graham has proposed that has exceptions to it. And she turns right around and says, oh, he supports no restrict or no exemptions. 
I mean, there's something, there's something about being able to stand on a stage right next to somebody, listen to something that they say, and then immediately turn around and reframe what they said as the opposite of what they said, isn't it? And so that means that for women who have been sexually assaulted, they will be forced to carry the pregnancy to term. And for women who have ectopic pregnancies or septic uteruses oh, or gosh. miscarriages that their bodies won't release, it means that they will not be able to get the life-saving treatment that they need, not which true. is an abortion. That's not, and this isn't true either. The whole ectopic pro, uh, pregnancy issue, not applicable. Not applicable to these laws. But again, this is so. And also with the rape and incest charge, this is what less than one percent of the of all pregnancies. But these are the these are the the outlier cases that they cite. And even if you say, okay, fine, exceptions, as Ted Budd has done by supporting Lindsey Graham's bill, even when you say that, even when you say, fine, I'll agree to the exceptions. Now let's talk about the other 99% of the pregnancies. Can we eliminate abortions for those? Oh, no, you can't. No. Okay. So your argument really isn't about the exceptions then. You're just using those in order to gain traction and support for the 99% of other abortions, right? It's a rhetorical device. It's dishonest, right? It's bad faith. And to Ted Budd's original point when he said to the, uh, the moderator, Tim Boyum, you know, I hope you ask my opponent about her radical position on this. This is what he's talking about, is that you cite the outlier examples as the rationale to allow all the 99% of others. And Beasley, we're going to hear this after the news, Beasley then talks about how she's for Roe v. Wade and the restrictions and the limits and all of that stuff with Roe v. Wade. Slight problem, Roe v. Wade wasn't the last word on abortion rights. That was Casey v. Planned Parenthood. And Casey kind of undid Roe. But Sherry Beasley either doesn't know that or she thinks you don't.